Are you learning or helping someone else learn Python? Why not make a game out of it? Twilio Quest is a game that doesn't treat you with kid gloves while teaching you Python. Use your editor of choice and write code on your machine and still play the game to solve the Python challenges. In this episode, you'll meet Kevin Winery and Ryan Kubik from Twilio, who created Twilio Quest, and they're here to tell us all about it. This is Talk Python to Me, episode 249, recorded December 12th, 2019. Welcome to Talk Python to Me, a weekly podcast on Python, the language, the libraries, the ecosystem, and the personalities. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Follow me on Twitter where I'm at mkennedy. Keep up with the show and listen to past episodes at talkpython.fm and follow the show on Twitter via at talkpython. This episode is brought to you by Tidelift and Linode. Please check out what they're offering during their segments. It really helps support the show. Kevin Ryan, welcome to Talk Python to Me. Awesome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks. Nice to spend a little time with you guys and talk about this programming game. I think it's going to be so much fun. You know, for a long time, I played actual games, you know, Mech Warrior, Half-Life, Counter-Strike, something mm. like that. But then I felt like I, that was kind of just wasting my time. And my game actually sort of became programming, you know, instead of going and diving into a world like that, I was like, well, what can I build in the world with code? And like creating stuff with code kind of almost became a game to me. And you've sort of clashed these worlds together in an interesting sense, at least at the learning level. Yeah, I think so. And it is kind of funny that it sort of scratches the same itch, right? Like, you know, building something with code, it seems to somehow feel, I don't know, maybe maybe it's not so weird, especially when you see games like Minecraft and that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's been fun to kind of marry those two uh, passions uh, for me as well. Yeah. And if you disguise them right, kids will love them, right? Like kids love Minecraft. <laughs> you told kids to go like do programming homework, they'd be like, no, I don't want to. But then they'll like beg for Minecraft, right? You know, it's just like the context is really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Before we get too deep into the game side and talking about Twilio Quest, the thing that you both have built, I want to talk a little bit about just where you're coming from and your story. So Kevin, let's start with you. How'd you get into programming in Python? I got I got into programming kind of in high school. There was, the, there was like a, I don't know if you can call it programming, but there was this hyper card software that was installed on the computers at uh, at school. And I got really into like creating like interfaces in this like drag and drop uh, system where you could click on links to go to another card in the in the system. Um, and just thought that was that was super fun. Um, and then uh, in college, I studied uh, programming and wrote like a Red Rover simulator in Scheme um, and thought that, that thought that I was uh, a genius oh for figuring out. <laughs> well, if you did it in Scheme, you kind of are, I mean, you are a genius if you can handle that many parentheses <laughs> at a time. So many parentheses. Matched up. <laughs> so many parentheses. <laughs> Just kidding. Sorry, go on. No, it was, it was super fun. And then, but yeah, that, that was kind of what kind of got me hooked is the ability to create like even just a stupid little game like Red Rover in, in Scheme. And yeah, and then I've been working at a, I've been programming for about 15 years now. I've been at Twilio for a little over seven years. And I do lots of different programming languages, but my primary Python is, you know, our documentation website at Twilio uh, is built on uh, Wagtail, which I'm sure many folks know is a yeah. CMS uh, extension. Yeah, it's for a, a Django. Django. Yeah, Django CMS. It's a really nice one, actually. Quite nice. Yeah, super extensible. And like Tulio has made a couple minor contributions, and we've done a whole bunch of customization. But yeah, it's worked out worked out great, and that's kind of been my first big Python project that I've been associated with. But I am more of a JavaScript person by trade, for sure. Right, and some of the, even though the lessons are for Python, for some of the lessons and missions we're going to talk about. 
the app at the low level, which we'll take it in as well, is more of a JavaScript HTML type of thing, right? Yep, yep, it is. Yeah, well, I'm sure we'll dig into it, but it's an Electron application and uh, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, so. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of those these days. <laughs> Ryan, how about you? Yeah, so like you, I spent a lot of time when I was younger playing video games, and then I ended up just making maps and stuff in video games, and then I figured out, like, oh, maybe I should make something useful instead. So that was sort of my transition into, like, well, maybe I'll try to make a game on its own. And that didn't really fully blossom for me until sort of undergrad. I started with Java and then learned to love-hate that. But Python was always this sort of, like, whenever there was a weird fun experiment, like we had, like, some big data courses or, like, some machine learning thing, like, Python was always the thing. They're like, and now you can have fun for a minute before you have to go back (laughs) to writing uh, all of your interfaces and stuff in Java. (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah, so that my initial impressions of Python have always been very fun, even though I've never actually had the chance to use it professionally. But I also, the one time I came close is I taught a uh, intro to programming course in Python at a at a local boot camp, and that was definitely a good choice. I was glad that I did not have to teach people <laughs> Java in that setting. <laughs> now you implement this interface, and that's an abstract method. So what that means is this, yeah. and then like, oh my goodness, I just want to print something out on the screen. Can we? Just- not do all this? Yes. No, it's been amazing. I generally do JavaScript these days uh, since ToyQuest is all, all Node and, and React and all that. But I also am glad I didn't have to explain that to new people too. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So let's start by talking a little bit uh, more about your background because it sounds like you both are somewhat involved in education and Twilio Quest came out of some interesting educational stuff done through for Twilio and, and whatnot. So what's your backgrounds in teaching and building courses or tutorials and things like that? Before uh, coming to Twilio, uh, I worked at another smaller uh, startup called Accelerator, and we created this thing called uh, Titanium, which was a cross-platform tool that let you build mobile applications in JavaScript. And I built a lot of uh, educational content around that, uh, certif- like a sort of a lightweight certification program. And I've and since coming to Twilio, have also worked on uh, documentation and other resources for developers, including our live training program. And Twilio Quest was kind of came from all of that as sort of a, a reaction to what I didn't like about how I was teaching developers. Um, and Twilio Quest is kind of how I prefer to. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And you're like, I'm teaching them. Just here's an API, here's an API, here's kind of a static tutorial they have to go through. And you're like, could it be more engaging, huh? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, the, I mean, and we'll, I don't know if this is the right time to dive in, but basically Twilio Quest was created because I wanted to, in a live training setting, like give people the opportunity to sort of progress at their own pace. Because in any kind of like live training, it's either too fast for some people or it's too slow for some people. And, you know, with uh, something self-paced like Twilio Quest, if you're brand new to the topic and you only make it through three exercises, that's great. Or if you're a more advanced developer, maybe you can speed through 20 pieces of content throughout the day. So, sure. Yeah. That's a real big challenge of these in-person trainings. It's also a challenge of online and self-paced, but it's a really big challenge of the next half hour, I want you to do this. Whether that's a PyCon or other conference like live workshop or it's a week-long training class there's people of massive different backgrounds in there and it's, it's super challenging mm-hmm. to give them something interesting that doesn't either stop in 10 minutes for the beginner or the experts or just mm-hmm. kill the beginners. Right. Um, I did 10 years of in-person training and people would come to me and they would say, Michael, I are almost out of time. I'm only halfway done. I don't think I'm getting this topic or 
the point is to have enough that even the really experienced people don't run out of time. So don't feel like you've got to get through all of it. Right? It's just, it's a big challenge, <laughs> right? And so I think yeah, the, totally. the open-ended quest concept, they can just keep going down these, these paths, which is pretty cool. Yeah, totally. And and that that's like sort of has formed the core of it. And we still use that in our live, use toy quest in our live training today for that, for that reason. But, but yeah, we had like the, the software and kind of the, a lot of the other tools that we built around it ended up being useful to build something for self-service learning too. So yeah, just before we move off, off of it, what does live training at Twilio look like? Is that like a big company that wants to implement working with you guys say, Hey, come and do a in-person class or these like conference things that you do is I know you are exhibitors at many of the conferences around and whatnot? Yeah, I think I think it's kind of a little bit of all of those things you mentioned. So we will go to companies sometimes um, and they're interested in sort of, you know, leveling up a bunch of developers on how to use Twilio because they're about to embark on a larger project of some kind. So we've definitely run Twilio Quest in those settings. And then we also, uh, Twilio will sponsor conferences and other meetups and developer events. And we'll often do like a couple hours or maybe a half day where we get people together with, they play Twilio Quest. And um, both when we do it on site at giant corporation. And when we do it at meetup, we usually do a leaderboard with the XP totals of everybody during the event. And then we usually give out some like goofy prizes at the end for people that have uh, completed certain objectives within Twilio Quest. So yeah, and most of it we do, we do kind of intersperse it with some live demos, like some live code demos or some demos of larger applications. But it's usually like a facilitated hands-on experience where people kind of move through the content at their own pace. Okay, cool. Ryan, how about you? Teaching background experience? For me, this is, again, this is the first full-time educational role I've had. Uh, So a lot of my previous experience has sort of been trying out a bunch of different ways to help people learn and to find that way that I'm actually effective at doing that. So I mentioned that that one-time boot camp uh, course I did, that was the only time I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Because teaching at a boot camp is stressful and crazy, especially on top of a a full-time job as well. Right. It's a pretty big commitment. Those are like 12 weeks and... That's, that's yeah, a time, it's right? definitely a, it's a weird place too because it like the stakes are pretty high for the people involved. Like it's a potential life changing opportunity, and and like not being able to commit to it like as a full time position, I just felt like I it was hard to serve them as well as I feel like they deserved. I can imagine, yeah, yeah. So I've also tried like speaking at local meetups. I do a like a monthly blog post on educational topics, and I, I just tried a bunch of different little things. And in general, I find the the ways where I kind of either get to engage in conversation with folks or sort of curate an experience for them rather than the sort of live like lecture style. Like I, I'm, <laughs> I don't think I'd be very good at like recording a audio course or like the one time I tried streaming was a little messy, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorts of settings are hard. These more interactive sort of, I'm here with you rather than speaking to you. Yeah. I like, yeah, being being more on a team with someone versus sort of portraying as this uh, all-knowing deity where I, in reality, don't know very much at all. <laughs> Sage on the stage. Yeah. yeah, that's a tricky place to be. So, Kevin, while you were speaking, something that sounds pretty interesting, you talk about having these leaderboards and people doing this together. And, you know, tr- when I was thinking about this, it was like, oh, yeah, and the training that you guys have been doing and whatnot – this might be really a really fun activity for a meetup, right? So if you've got like a Python meetup or some other meetup that there's a mission for, have everybody come, bring their laptops, and then just play together. How do you like create this sort of group leaderboard 
thing? Is that something people from the outside could do if there's meetup organizers out there? We have done it for folks before. Like we we haven't sort of made it self-service, but we have uh, community leaders that have been like, oh man, I would really like to do Twilio Quest at our meetup. So, you know, it takes me about 10 seconds to create a new like event in Twilio Quest. So uh, I've created one for folks and they have gone to a URL and they can display the leaderboard there. And within the game, you can actually uh, specify that I am participating in this live event. And then it starts sending all your points to the leaderboard. So we've definitely done it Mm -hmm. for a few third parties. And we do it for first party like Twilio events all the time. Like we have a Twilio Quest tea party, uh, which is a fun one that uh, some some of our colleagues have started to do where you just hang out and uh, just as you imagine, uh, drink tea and eat fancy cakes and then also play Twilio Quest at the same time. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. All right, nice. I, I think it would actually be a pretty fun activity if you're trying to get folks involved and have like something of a beginner night or you could pick more missions that are more challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. We definitely want to make that more self-service. But in the meantime, if you tweet at Kevin Winery, uh, he will set that up for you. So <laughs> super. Uh, let me know. Super, super. Yeah, and I'll put a link to your Twitter, both of your Twitters in the show notes so people can just find it in their podcast players. Awesome. Now let's dive into Twilio Quest proper. And I'll read the opening paragraph. It's maybe I should try to describe it. It's a little bit, it's like a a top down sort of dungeon exploring game where you go through and you find clues and you solve puzzles by writing code to make those things happen. Right. Is that a fair, very first impression? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Like we're kind of trying to go for like a Zelda or Pokemon style RPG where a lot of the progression is done by solving uh, code challenges that will, you know, unlock doors and clear your progress or the way for progress in various ways. So, One of yeah. the things I like is the, there is conversation with little non-player character type things, but it actually speaks to you. And I'll, I don't know, there's just something about a game where it has music, but then the only way to interact with characters is, is reading. There's something nice about a little bit of conversation, but there's an opening section and I'll just read what it says there to give people the sense of kind of what you're going for, I guess. As more and more our lives are lived inside the virtual worlds of computers, the universe is where these virtual worlds reside is known as the cloud, and it expands every second of every day with new worlds to discover. The ability to write code, the laws that govern these virtual worlds has become a precious resource. And you have to go on to sort of save the world from uh, the legacy society or something like that, right? Le- the, leg- the legacy systems, yes. The legacy the systems, yeah. That's a, uh, yeah, they're, they're always red when they appear in text. Very nice. So it starts out and you have this like, hey, welcome. You're going to like learn a little bit of code and you're going to, as part of the game, save the world from these legacy systems. But really just learn stuff, yes. right? Which is great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's mostly mostly just learning stuff at this point. We in the coming year we have some more story elements that are going to be coming out to kind of that will you know pitch you against the legacy systems. But yeah, today it's mostly just learning how to code in a sci-fi setting for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, so for now, people can get ready, prepare their skills, yes. hone their skills, train them later. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, train up yep. exactly. This portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by Tidelift. Tidelift is the first managed open source subscription, giving you commercial support and maintenance for the open source dependencies you use to build your applications. And with Tidelift, you not only get more dependable software, but you pay the maintainers of the exact packages you're using, which means your software will keep getting better. The Tidelift subscription covers millions of open source projects across Python, JavaScript, Java, PHP, Ruby, .NET, and more. And the subscription includes security updates, 
licensing, verification, and indemnification, maintenance and code improvements, package selection and version guidance, roadmap input, and tooling and cloud integration. The bottom line is you get the capabilities you'd expect and require from commercial software, but now for all the key open source software you depend upon. Just visit talkpython.fm slash Tidelift to get started today. You talked a little bit about how this started as working for like in-person experiences, but maybe just give us the history. It started way back in 2013, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, when, right around when I joined up at Tulio, because I had done some developer training stuff, I was sort of given the charter of, you know, we're having this uh, conference um, and we'd like to do a live training day. You should build some training for Twilio for the for the conference. I didn't want to do like slides code, slides code, slides code, you know, kind of like I had always done for developer training before. So over the course of like a couple of weeks of like frantic hacking on like Angular One or something, I think it was back in those days, I created sort of the first crappy proto version of Twilio Quest where you could go through and do code challenges, except for the code challenges were all manually validated. Like I walked to your laptop and saw that you did the thing and then gave you points uh, based on that. Right. Was it also originally just in the cloud, uh, just in the web? Yeah, it was It was just in the browser. Yes. Okay, uh-huh. It was uh, built on top of Parse, um, made a rest in power. But yeah, so it was uh, it was an app that was browser based, and yeah, and we used it at live events starting in 2013 and kind of sporadically going forward. And then a few years ago, we sort of cleaned it up, made a new version of it, and actually deployed it on uh, Wagtail, our, our Docs CMS, and did like sort of a version two of Twilio Quest that was like a nicer version of what we initially did in 2013. And then last August, we launched uh, Twilio Quest three, which we rewrote from the ground up, and it is you know, very much this game experience where you download the application, uh, run it on your computer. And, and yeah, and there are a variety of reasons why we did that. But, but yeah, it's kind of started for live training in 2013. And then we sort of rebuilt it from the ground up as like a self-contained self-service game so that um, it wouldn't be so tightly coupled to live training. Yeah, I think that's really neat. And people can definitely use it for all sorts of stuff. It's very unique in a lot of ways. We're going to talk about how you play it. It's not just your standard coding game gamification. Ryan, when did you get involved in the project? I joined back in June, I believe. It was the, the first week of June. And that was sort of the, the last sort of uh, crazy, crazy sprint for uh, Signal this year, which is where we, we did the first sort of uh, public release of Twilio Quest 3. Right, um, and Signal's so, your big developer conference, right? Yeah, next one's coming yeah, up in right. May. And we have like a big one of those super class events that Kevin was talking about, our live training. We have our, our biggest one of the year there and have hundreds of developers come in. So we really needed to have it uh Twilio Quest three up and polished and get the audio in and as much content as we could get. So it was sort of this big push that we all kinda came together for. So that was sort of my initial experience. It was very uh quick. Uh, it was a quick pace time. <laughs> it was hectic. It was a hectic time. Yeah. That's Word. Yeah, we, but yeah, we definitely got it together, thankfully, and shipped it in August. So Yeah, super. And your background coming from games and more web development, JavaScript side, what part did you work on? For me personally, I've always wanted to work on games, but I've also really enjoyed web development. So this intersection for me has always been like, when I practice code at home, I write web games. So I've, I've been writing games in the same, like we use a, a library called Phaser, um, and then we use React and and all these web technologies that I've been using to make games for the past several years in my own time. What I didn't know then is that I was apparently training up for this exact opening where... <laughs> it's funny how life is like that, right? Like 
this is the thing I'm really into. And then I, I have no idea what I'm going to do with this. And then boom, like, wow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Good, good yeah, work yeah. there on making your hobby fit. Yeah, so I had basically been for several, several months before my application to, to work on Toyo Quest, I was working on a, another game that was powered by Electron and used Phaser and React to make an interactive, downloadable video game experience in web tech. So uh, it was sort of that technical know-how and experience, I think, is the, the primary contribution. And then just in general, I've been making games for a few years. So I think that I, I bring some insights on that front as oh. well. Yeah, and it's super cool. So I know what React is. I know what Electron is. I know what HTML is. I know all those things, but Phaser I had not heard about, and it looks pretty interesting. Tell people about Phaser. Phaser.js is a, it's a game development framework of sorts, I think is the best way to think about it. So you could go into writing your own physics engine and your own collision system and your own audio player and your own rendering code, or you could then use four years like later. Phaser. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Then you could start a project. So instead, Phaser gives you a lot of great APIs for things that are just like, like, I just want the character to move when I push the arrow keys. And Phaser says, like, okay, make a sprite and then add cursors. And then, like, okay, your character moves. The camera follows them. So it just gives you a lot of great utilities to get you up and running and, like, making your game rather than making all of the giant technological decisions and implementation that goes behind having a game run. Oh, that's cool. And it's based on Canvas and WebGL and it's on GitHub. Pretty neat. Yeah, it's an open source project. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Very cool. Yeah, it's been a pleasure working. Yeah, I, I bet it has. You know, it's really much better than just trying to write that all from scratch, right? For sure. Yes. So, Kevin, one of the things that I think that particularly speaks to me when I play this game is the way that it is real programming. Because one of the things that kind of bugs me is if I go to some online place and says you can write code here, and then this is part of our challenge. And I'll talk about some that are nice and not not knocking on them at all, but you go there and it's not the same experience. It's not the same as if I'm going to open up the main web application that I work on or the mobile apps. I'm not going to do that in the browser. I'm going to fire up an IDE or some proper editor and work on my local file system, right? And so one of the things that really surprised me about this game is you go through and you have these challenges. You got to like unlock little electric doors or whatever. And the way you do that is you write some code to solve a challenge or a puzzle. But the place and the way you write the code is on your machine, right? Yeah, that is something that we kind of felt strongly about. Like, I love a lot of those browser-based experiences as well. Um, they're fantastic for like teaching the syntax of programming languages and, and things like that. But the skills that you need to, like, as you kind of alluded to, to actually write code professionally, or you have to kind of start using your computer like a developer. You have to kind of know how to navigate a terminal and um, execute code from the command line and maintain a directory where all your all your code lives. Um, so in a lot of the content in Twilio Quest, we try to we try to have you actually do that. And because Twilio Quest is a desktop application running on your computer, that gives us the chance to kind of incrementally validate that you've done that. So we have one mission where you can learn Git. Um, so we can verify that you have Git installed. We can look at a directory where you cloned a repository to see if you've created a branch of a certain name. So the fact that we're running on your computer gives us the opportunity to kind of really step you through what is necessary to actually set your computer up for development, which I think is like an important step of teaching people to fish um, in this process, for sure. I agree, because you come to one of these these online things, and like I said, they can be really nice, but then I want to build a real thing. What the heck do I do? I have no, like, there's not this web editor. Okay, I got to figure out a proper editor. I got to 
how do I get the, you know, Python or Node or Git or whatever it is I'm trying to work with onto the computer and then, oh, it's not in the right path. And there's just all these challenges, right? So it's it's pretty cool. Ryan, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it's that's the same thing for me. I, I think back to like learning to code. I used like computer craft and Minecraft or something. And I wrote this little thing that made a bot move around. And then as soon as you look at your normal computer and you're like, how on earth do I do anything? Like, I don't know how to deploy this code. I don't know how to install stuff. I, it's all just sort of this mess that like there isn't at least hopefully a tool request can help solve this, but there's not really anything that that teaches you that process except for like an instructor sitting next to you and like showing you like how to do this stuff. Yeah. You know, there's a couple of other platforms out there that I think are worth throwing out for people to just consider kind of in this realm. And they're all trying to approach this problem of, I want to teach some simple programming skills in some sort of gamified way. Right. So the first one is the mm-hmm. PyBytes code challenge platform. That one you go there and there's like a bunch of little challenges that you do. And you can do them in your browser. And the way those validate is it just runs PyTest in the background to verify, you know, that it's getting what it would expect, right? And then you, the gamification side is kind of like you get badges, you become a ninja or levels or whatever. Then there's Check.io, where you actually go into, like, virtual worlds, more of the Canvas WebGL type of thing. And you navigate those and you, you sort of solve parts of the, the world. And then when you unlock a part, you can compare your solution to the other people's solution and talk about it, which is really interesting. Like, for example, I went through that and I inadvertently learned that I have this tendency to optimize for performance rather than simplicity whenever I'm doing something. You know, I'm like solving this problem. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I'll do it this way because it would be really bad to just like, you know, requery the list every time. Let me like do some sort of little optimization for that. Just not thinking that that's what I wanted. That's just, well, here's a proper solution, right? Then I looked and other mm-hmm. people had it in like half the length. I'm like, why did they get it so quickly? I'm like, oh, because they don't care about this thing that I thought mattered. And it probably doesn't. Obviously, in that case, it doesn't, right? But it's interesting to get this comparison. And then the last one, which I think is super interesting in the game side, is Code Combat. And Kevin, you're familiar with that one, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I've definitely played Code Combat a little bit. And uh, my daughter, Grace, has uh, made a decent amount of progress uh, through there as well. So yeah, it's a really it's a really cool project. You know what I really like? I, I love Code Combat. My daughter's played it some, and she was quite successful, and she's not good at programming. She's pretty young. And what I really like about Code Combat is it doesn't pull the punches. It's not like uh, one of the sketch type things where you drag it around. And you're like, oh, guess what? If you turn this around, it'll show you the code that you wrote, but you didn't really write. You know what I mean? This one yeah, is like yeah. a dungeon that you go through and you solve these problems, but you solve them by writing in a code editor online for real. But what's super interesting is the autocomplete of the code editor is like ridiculous. Like you have a hero object mm-hmm. and the hero has to maybe attack an enemy. You type the letter a, it'll say it'll autocomplete hero attack enemy and it'll like select the enemy, right? It's like ridiculous amounts of autocomplete, but it's still real Python code. I think what that that's definitely what I like most about it is that you're typing in code. I, I mean, I think like the the autocomplete stuff is also really awesome. And the you working with the domain objects of the game is kind of interesting. Is it's sort of introducing you to object-oriented programming, but not really like you're just kind of absorbing through osmosis the fact that you know there are objects that have these members and all of these other all these other things so yeah lots there's definitely a lot of uh, inspiration there for like different things that we do in tool request like i think we approach the content in a slightly different way 
and we in the game world is uh, is a lot different. But code combat's really it's really cool. Like I said before, I think the most important difference that you guys have out there is that you write real code with a local editor, and then you go to the game and you say check it out. So I'll give a real quick sense so people know the flow. Like I went through the Python part, which we'll talk more about, but the first challenge or puzzle you have to solve is install Python three on your system and set the path, right? So in the game, you actually say, here's the path to the interpreter, uh, executable. And then the next one is to create a folder and put a file in it. And then after that, it's like, well, we know where Python is and all the files you create for the rest of the game are in this folder. We can run them and we don't ever have to ask you again, but it's not like there was a now go to the preferences and set the config settings where you select Python. No, it was like part of the game. So it was fun to do that or, you know, relatively speaking. Yeah, yeah. I, I think like exposing it as a part of the the narrative of the level was, was pretty important. <laughs> and and I think like that, yeah, that's probably going to be a, the main difference people I, I hope will notice in Tulio Quest is that we made a conscious decision to sort of separate the programming tasks that we would ask people to do from like the gameplay aspects of like moving your character around and unlocking laser gates and all of that other stuff more because like we're, we want to make sure that like the technical skills that we're teaching are very practical. I mean, there's, you know, several reasons for that, but in code combat, one thing that you're sort of doing is you're learning how like this code combat world works and working with this set of objects versus sort of equipping yourself with a skill set to write your own Python yeah, code. Right. Yes. So and I think like that's kind of what we're trying to do with the technical content design in Twilio Quest. Cool. Ryan, are you familiar with any of these or other game-like platforms you want to give a shout-out to? I'm not familiar with any of these ones in particular. The one that always comes to mind for me is there's like an online game called Scrapes where you sort of write like JavaScript Mm. like little bots that automate a bunch of tasks. And it's definitely much more about like, it's not necessarily focused on being educational, I don't think, but it's a game that is powered by people writing code, which I, I still find is an interesting space. Yeah. Yeah, cool. How do you spell that? S C R E E P S, I think. Screeps. Okay. <laughs> sort of a yeah, yeah, yeah. Made I it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. I'll put a link to that as well. Cool. That sounds interesting. Yeah. So let's maybe talk for a minute about the missions that you all have available. Then I want to dive into the Python one. Starts out with basic training. The only one, just so you know, the only one I have experience with is the mysteries of the pythonic temple so you'll have to just kind of talk us through these but what are some of the missions you got out there a, bi- a big chunk of the missions in tulio quest uh teach you how to use various tulio apis so uh tulio for those that might not be familiar uh, we're, we're an api company that provides uh, communications apis so you can use tulio to send text messages make voice calls or create video conferencing or send faxes all kinds of wild stuff so a large chunk of the content in tulio quest is Twilio related because that's kind of where we started. The place that we're going is uh, starting to use Twilio Quest as a platform for general engineering education. So the Python mission, the Pythonic Temple is is one example of that. But we also have a mission called the Flame of Open Source, where you learn how to... I love the name there, the Flame of Open Source. Yeah, tell us about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun one. So in, in that one, you actually go through this uh, forest and in the center of the forest is the this ancient artifact known as the Flame of Open Source. And the way that you get to it is by configuring Git on your local computer and going through the process of actually submitting a pull request on GitHub to a repository that we've set up on like Twilio's GitHub as sort of like a way to learn how to do your first pull request. Yeah, that's cool. You don't have to do a real PR to a real project. 
You just have to do a, a simple one to yours, right? That's more achievable. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So you don't have to, you know, figure out how how Flask works and submit a PR. But but yeah, so it just ends up being a good way to, you know, actually use GitHub to submit a pull request. So you just kind of become familiar with that process. We also have a mission that teaches JavaScript where you're kind of navigating a lab-like um, environment and doing basic JavaScript stuff. We're actually kind of in the process of doing a big revamp to make that a little more story-based like the Python mission is. And then we also recently released a mission uh, that's sort of a companion for Advent of Code, which is another great additional resource uh, that's out there uh, that folks can use in the month of December or anytime. Um, and there's is that like, like a, a new, problem a day or something like that? Yep. It's a new problem every day in December. And they give you unique input that you can download to your computer. And you could solve it with whatever tools you wanted. They don't actually provide like a browser editor or anything like that. But in Twilio Quest, we provide a mission and you know some, some tools and an integrated uh, editor where you can actually use JavaScript to solve the problems in Advent of Code as well. So That's cool. Well, this episode is going to come out probably in January, so people might just want to put a note on their calendar for 11 months <laughs> later that this is going to be totally relevant. Then. Well, that'll just mean that they, they don't have to wait. They can just do all 25 <laughs> days. Of the advent of February code. Yes. <laughs> this portion of Talk Python to Me is brought to you by Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale that you need to take your project to the next level. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage, and the next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance that you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today with a $20 credit and you get access to native SSD storage, a 40 gigabit network, industry-leading processors, their revamped cloud manager at cloud.linode.com, root access to your server, along with their newest API and a Python CLI. Just visit talkpython.fm slash Linode when creating a new Linode account and you'll automatically get $20 credit for your next project. Oh, and one last thing, they're hiring. Go to linode.com slash careers to find out more. Let them know that we sent you. Yeah, so let's talk about this, the mysteries of the Pythonic Temple. And all these are kind of fun. The, like the little intro for this part is you get to follow in the footsteps of the legendary explorer Toledo Van Possum. <laughs> A hat tip to Guido Van Rossum, right? Indeed. As you uncover the mysteries of the Pythonic Temple, the last surviving structure of the ancient city of Python, and you learn how to use the Python in programming language and other tools. And your reward is the staff of Pythonic knowledge. <laughs> Lovely. Indeed it is. Yes. So. Yeah. Did you see the one people have been carrying around at PyCon? I don't know if you were even there, but the last couple of years, Anthony Shaw has got this 3D printed, it's probably, uh, I don't know, an inch thick and six feet tall and multiple, you know, Python colors and Brian Aachen had one and they're walking around these giant Python, it's got a giant Python symbol on the top. These things are crazy. Wait, what? So yeah. there, there's a literal staff of Pythonic <laughs> knowledge? Oh, yeah. Let me I see had, if I can find I have no knowledge of this. This is fantastic. I need to figure this out immediately. Oh, man. It's, uh, yeah, it's the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he, I'll, I'll put it. It's called the Pythonic Staff of Enlightenment. And uh, yeah, I'll put it in the show notes here. I'll, I'll put it in there right in the doc so you can see right oh. now as we're talking. I but, can't yeah. believe it. That is so... It is. it is really no, yeah. cool. Clearly we were not. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. So like I, I'll come down a little bit. You'll see this bad boy. Yeah. You can order one. They're not totally cheap because there's a lot of power in that bad boy, but uh, yeah, it's pretty, <laughs> <laughs> they're pretty cool. Money, I'm sure. 
Yeah, they even got Guido von Rossum posing with that thing at one of the conferences. It was great. Yeah, uh, that is pretty cool. Yeah, now I feel like an idiot for not googling this first, but well, like, that is no. So cool. I mean, yeah, like this is beautiful. I, I think it's actually the perfect reward for this. So let me just like run people through the the quick thing is like I said at the beginning, you basically do this on your computer. So what I did is I fired up PyCharm and created a folder, and the first. You know, it says you've got to go through and collect all of the notes of Toledo, the Explorer, to figure out what's going on and so on. And they're all behind these locked lightning barrier type things, laser barriers. And so you've got to go and solve the problems of each one. Like the first one is configure Python so the game can find it and make sure it's on the machine. The next one is, I like the names here, excuse me, the names are like the trial of salutation, which really is hello world. Yeah, indeed. You've got the the trial of soliciting input, which is taking arguments, trial of naming, trial of numbers, myriad of properties, word succession, iteration. So like the foundations of the Python language, like the truth for the glory of Python, where you do if statements. And (laughs) finally, the grand finale, I won't give people the answer, but you have to do the trial of trickery, which is fizzbuzz. Yep, indeed. (laughs) So yeah, the entrance into the ancient city of Python was by no means guaranteed. You had to earn your place as a citizen of the city. So uh, so yeah, as the player, you have to go through the same citizenship trials that the ancient Pythonistas had to back in those days. So yeah, it's uh, pretty fun to build out for sure. Yeah, that's super cool. And you were planning, you guys are planning more, right? Yeah, yeah. We uh, So the if you actually load up the mission, you'll see that a lot of the Pythonic temple is, is currently collapsed. And, uh, you know, crews are working around the clock to sort of unlock new areas of the temple. And in those areas, there'll be sort of similar puzzles around, you know, learning how to use Flask and, and other libraries within Python and other more advanced uh, Python programming techniques like object-oriented programming and creating modules and, and things of that nature. Much of the current mission is kind of based on or teaching you basic Python syntax. So yeah, over the next you know coming months, we'll have more areas of the temple that become unlocked that you can explore and learn new stuff about Python. Cool. And how do I get the update? So one of the things that is easy for websites is to be updated without a whole lot of effort from the, the people. Mm-hmm. What have you guys done to update the thing I downloaded or how do I get updates? Yeah, so the, the thing that you downloaded is a launcher program. It's kind of like if you have used Minecraft before, like if there's a new version of Minecraft, it sort of automatically downloads it and unzips it and all of that stuff. When you launch Twilio Quest, you see an interface that will check for the newest version. If there's a new version, it'll download it, and then you can choose to launch uh, that new version if you would like. Okay. Brian, do you want to talk a little bit about the internals, about how this thing is built? We've touched on some of the, the things, like we touched a tiny bit on Phaser and stuff, but maybe a little bit deeper look? Sure, yeah. I could probably go on forever and get lost and, and confused, because I'm sure I don't even know all of the details. But the core of it, it all sort of starts with that launcher that Kevin mentioned. And we ship a version of Electron, which is sort of like shipping a, a small version of Chromium to each user so that we can kind of control the environment that our ToyQuest is running in, which is actually a nice luxury compared to the web version where we have to worry about, like, does this work on Safari and Firefox and Opera and whatever else? Did somebody actually seriously just visit it with IE? Did that actually just happen and they're complaining about it? Things like that, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing that we actually, that happens a lot because uh, some of the training events and stuff, like we end up working with people that are Windows developers that have like some IT restricted machine. And like, that's a, there's a lot of complications around that. 
world that we have to deal with. And so this helps us restrict some of those variables. And then there's other variables that this introduces yeah. that make it hard for us to control. Because now we're shipping a Windows application, a Mac application, and a, a Linux application. But that stuff all kind of wraps a, a, a relatively normal web page. Electron gives you sort of some Node.js processes that you can use to interact with like the file system and to like make network requests. And then we have a another set of like a, a traditional web page basically where we have React running and it, it kind of does all of the UI for Twilio Quest. So everything that pops up and shows like Cedric is talking to you, one of our, our MPC mascots, that's all like React modals and, and dialogue boxes. And then Phaser is sort of letting you walk around the world and interact with stuff. Okay, yeah, that's cool. And for people who haven't built Electron JS apps, it's kind of like you have the node side of things and you have the browser side of things. You just have a, I don't know if it's index or main, but HTML, I can't remember, but you just have like your starter page and your starter JavaScript. Mm-hmm. And it's much yeah. like building a single page app as you would in React or Vue or something like that. But then you could call down to Node and do machine level stuff as well, right? And so that's yep. where some of the weird stuff comes in where like, because we have the ability to, we have sort of an integrated JavaScript IDE that you can use for IDEs, maybe generous, but editor. And then that sort of spins up other Electron processes, like render processes that run your code sandbox so that Twilio Quest doesn't crash if your code loops forever or, or things like that. So there's a lot of kind of wild problems that, at least in my web development background, I've never had to deal with before. So it's been yeah, an interesting Yeah, for sure. And how, how long did it take you all to find out that somebody might write code that's an infinite loop? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah like, I mean, we need another definitely... process because it's hung up and I don't... They keep saying there's a bug in the app, but what is, it seems fine to me. I don't know. Yeah, no, there, there's definitely been a lot of like zombie process hunting that has happened over the years. But yeah, we, we hit that relatively quickly. And there's still a couple corner cases that where things can get gnarly um, with the code editor. But but yeah, it's it's been fun. Like It's just it's a different set of challenges when you're operating on the desktop. When we kind of considered the trade-offs, we knew we wanted to write content that could teach any kind of technical skill, like whether it was like Git or Python or rust or mongodb or what whatever it would happen to be we wanted to be able to have like really granular validation and you know tight system integration for all of that stuff and we being only one of me for a long time and then ryan joined up and has just been a superstar for several months now with a relatively small team the prospect of like building a cloud-based environment that could support all these different technologies was uh, daunting. Um, so we opted to go with uh, solving problems on the client side versus trying to create this virtualization infrastructure to do all the stuff that we wanted to do. Yeah, there's a lot of challenges to make that happen, set up the right config and right. Like if you're doing something that's got a server-side process, like you mentioned MongoDB, then you've got to have a system, but you don't want them to abuse it or other people to see it. Like, it gets really complicated. The the security leaks or, you know, Docker or VM escape bugs that who knows even exists, right? You don't want to be part of that. So if it runs on yeah. the, the machine with their local Python or their local JavaScript or Node or whatever, the yeah, worst thing totally. to do is they, hack they themselves, wel- right? Exactly. Yep. They, they are welcome to pwn their own computers if they would like. In yeah. fact, that, that, that means they've already won. They've already become a developer. So good job. Yeah, good exactly. Well, well done. Well done. It worked on your machine until it didn't. Like, I'm going to send this, like, launch sub-process rm-rf, you know, sudo against their root directory. Yeah. Boom. Like, oh, wait. <laughs> Why is it rebooting? Oh, yeah, wait a second. Yeah, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I like to joke that one of our final missions will be hacking Toyo Quest itself, making your own. Like, <laughs> yeah. Up. Nice. Well, speaking of hacking Twilio Quest, you know, you have these cool missions. 
what is the possibility of customizing missions or creating new missions? Could they, can that be done? Can people submit them to you? Would you include them? Like, what's the story around that? Like, could you crowdsource some of that? Or open yeah. Source? Give you involved? Yeah, no, it's uh, funny you should ask. Um, we were actually just sort of scheming just this very week I mean, here in December um, about how we could make that possible because uh, we've actually have made quite a bit of investment for like content authoring tools that that we right, use. Yeah, to build I was wondering, do you guys have like level builders and other types of things to help facilitate this and like for music and so on? Yeah, I mean, it's more like we built a lot of the plumbing around tools. So like the the primary level editor we use is a program called Tiled or Tiled. It's just mapeditor.org. That's a very uh, popular open source tool that, you know, you can use to build maps. Oh, for yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we use that and that exports a JSON file that we that we process and use in the in the game. Um, and then we've just built a lot of uh, scripting and, and like command line tools for, you know, writing content in Markdown and validation code in JavaScript to make sure that people have completed the missions, you know, to specification. So yeah, so we're, we're not there yet, um, but we hope that in the not too distant future and next year, certainly, we'll just be able to let people use the same tools that we use to contribute content to Twilio Quest as well. Yeah, that sounds really neat. And if you had the ability to create your own custom event that people could be part of, create your own custom levels that people could submit back. I could see a really cool little ecosystem build up around it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've definitely taken a lot of inspiration from Minecraft for a lot of the different parts of the UX and like the the modding community around Minecraft is one of the things that's, you know, fostered a lot of creativity in that community. So uh, we definitely want to provide the same kinds of opportunities if folks are interested for Twilio Quest. Yeah. As we've worked on this project, we've learned the limitations of being two humans. So the more we can bring more more folks in to contribute their knowledge and and train everyone, the better it's going to be for everyone involved, where more people can learn from more things from different folks. And we really just think that there's an opportunity to kind of help Twilio Quest transcend beyond uh, what just Kevin and I could accomplish on our own. Yeah, for sure. I can see tons of folks who are really passionate about their project whether that's somebody creating a David Lord running Flask or somebody creating a new web framework or a new language or whatever. And they're like, I would really love to have a more engaging way to have a tutorial rather than just follow these steps and read the docs. Read the docs is great, but it's not the same as a game, right? And so there's a lot of people who want to get visibility or more interest in their projects. You could end up with all sorts of things like the phaser people could come along and say, you know what? We want to have a little game to build games, right? Very meta or, or something like that. It seems seems like it would be a good yeah. Op- opportunity. Yeah, totally. And and I think like that's the like the the power that you'd get from going that route is what we've sort of discovered almost by accident, which is that just by putting tutorial content in a game form where you provide like an actual literal path forward. So people tend to consume or to get much further in a tutorial or in any kind of learning process when they can see where the path leads and like have some kind of incentive to keep moving on. So like when we moved from the web, which was kind of a little bit like the, I can't remember what the PyBytes code challenges, I think you mentioned, um, the previous web version of Twilio Quest was very similar where we kind of presented in a text-based format, here are the different objectives that you could complete. Just by taking content that was very similar 
and kind of putting it in a map that you could explore, we very quickly saw developers consuming twice as much or even more content on average than what we were seeing in the version previous. So uh, there's a lot of uh, power to structuring technical content and learning in this way, for sure. How do you feel about like professional developers versus beginners? You know, there's been a lot of success with IoT things with young kids. I'm thinking middle school age and whatnot, especially people who would are not necessarily drawn to pure game play, game development, right? Like uh, the UK did this thing with the BBC Microbit and MicroPython, and they found the number of young girls interested in programming and computer science massively increased after they had a course with the BBC Microbit rather than just, hey, we're going to have a programming course or a game club or something like that. I think like we've definitely seen Twilio Quest do well, like in a very diverse range of audiences, like across gender and age and various other vectors. We've seen in a professional setting, there's a a manager whose company uses Twilio for various things. And he actually has everybody, all new developers when they onboard will actually install Twilio Quest and just kind of play around and learn JavaScript because some of them, you know, don't learn, haven't uh, done JavaScript before. Um, yeah, that's one of the missions, the right? API. Yes, that is. And so, so it's like part of their, you know, new engineer onboarding, and it's just kind of a fun way to to get people up to speed. I wonder what their reaction is. You know, they're like, "What kind of cool company have I joined? Where my first day is to go play a game? I can't believe it." Yeah, yeah. That, so, I mean, that's that's definitely like what we're trying to foster. But you know, not everybody is so lucky. Um, there are some people who might, you know, fear getting in trouble for playing a game at work, maybe. So, another thing that we're working on in the first part of the year is exposing a lot of the content in Twilio Quest through a like a command line interface. So, if you are for whatever reason just really not about the game interface, uh, we still want to try to provide some of the same learning opportunities too. Sure. Sure. We chose the CLI just because we still feel that it's really valuable to have the dynamic interaction with the validators that we've written on your local machine versus deploying it, just plain deploying the content on the web, because then you, you get interactive feedback where if any stage along your, your process, you can figure out, like, we're able to tell you, like, oh, that file path is wrong or your username is slightly case, the casing is incorrect. Like we, we just the about ability we have to help you when we're still on your computer. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And there's probably some sort of implicit getting comfortable with just being in the command line, knowing where like, a lot of people don't even, when they're not quite programmers, don't even know how to get to their terminal app or command prompt these days. Cause those are all quite hidden on both windows and Mac OS. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah, so yeah, not, not bad. So a lot of this stuff is is very interesting. A couple of other resources, I guess, you guys threw out there, Child from mapeditor.org and Phaser. Those are cool. Are you familiar with Kenny.nl, K-E-N-N-E-Y.nl? Oh, of course. Uh, I think yeah. I think every, any, anybody who is uh, developing game projects and has uh, no dollars with which to do it uh, has probably encountered uh, like all the awesome assets that are out there for sure. Yeah, so you get a bunch of little map ass- like map tiles and sprites and stuff. Yeah, it seems like a really cool place. People are you wanted to build their own levels at some point in the future if that's possible, or like play with Phaser or other game like Pi Game or Arcade. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. There's lots of great resources there. Also like opengameart.org. If you are kind of hurting for assets for music or graphics or that sort of thing, there's a lot of like creative commons or public domain licensed content up there you can use as well. Yeah. Super. And not necessarily something that people could take, but it is interesting that you have it as a separate thing people can get is the original soundtrack. 
the Twilio Quest available on SoundCloud. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we worked with some of our favorite uh, indie chiptune artists and yeah, the the original soundtrack I, I really love. I, I like how it how it turned out, and it'll you know power a lot more experiences in the game uh, as we go. But yeah, definitely uh, check it out from SoundCloud. We're also going to try to make it a little easier to download and get a hold of in other uh, formats as well. But yeah, super fun. <laughs> Super cool. I, and I saw, and I said, you said it reminded you a tiny bit of the early Mech Warrior soundtrack, which I take as high praise because I also enjoy the early Mech Warrior games. The early Mech Warrior games were really special. I'm talking like 1995 to a little bit after oh, yeah. that. Yeah, maybe you played it on a Pentium 90 or something like that. Those, the music was good. It was just those were cool times when games were kind of like. You would experience you're like, wow, I cannot believe it is this immersive and this real. And that, that music was really, I think, a big part of it, actually. That in the fog. Yeah, that yeah. was kind of like the the golden era of like simulation style games, because like X-Wing and TIE Fighter were out there as well, which were fantastic. But yeah, no, just the the fact that you kind of had like, it felt like you were piloting like a big lumbering Colossus. Fantastic games. I mean, definitely did play on a old Pentium 90 machine that I figured out to work. <laughs> nice. How about you, Ryan? Did you play those games? I'm not familiar with MechWarrior. I missed out on that. I, the X-Wing games I do remember, though. Yeah, the, very nice. The very early, like, them and then the other LucasArts, like, I don't know what they were even called at this point, but those adventure sort of LucasArts games are, are really fun, too. Yeah. yeah, they were. Ryan's like the Spider-Man of our crew. He's like, you remember that really old movie, Empire Strikes Back? Uh, so you can <laughs> those types of lines. From that <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's a classic. I remember. Yeah, it, that's awesome. Cool. Well, let's, that's probably a good place to leave it. But you know, congratulations on this project, you guys. I know you've been at it for, uh, what is that, six years? Overnight success just took six years. But it seems like it's really making a, a lot of progress and it's, it's it's unique, and I think that's neat. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been super fun to work on. It's it's definitely uh, it's very literally a dream come true for me. Like I've wanted to work on games forever, and now you know have a chance to do it and, and educate people at the same time. So it's been uh, it's been fantastic. Yeah, I I agree. It, it's an amazing opportunity that I feel really fortunate to to be here for. This sort of bizarre intersection between video games and education is sort of. You've mentioned some other places that I'm going to have to check out later, some other sites and stuff, but this is the first time I've had any opportunity to do anything like this, and it's it's super cool. Yeah, it, it seems really great. Sure, you have a lot of fun all day working on these things, except when you have those weird bugs that you know, drive everyone <laughs> crazy. Because bugs in games yeah, can be yeah. super hard sometimes. It's really hard to reproduce them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to work on 3D simulators, and I'm like, why can I not see the thing? And it was like, well, we were rendering it counterclockwise instead of clockwise, or so it was invisible, it was getting cold. It's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, we have fewer of those issues, because that's that's one of the benefits of Phaser, is that it, yeah. it handles some of the WebGL stuff for us. Yeah, beautiful. Mercifully. All right, so before we get out of here let me ask you the final two questions and given that a lot of this is javascript stuff feel free to give a either a python or javascript answer so if you're going to write some code what editor do you use ryan first i'm a vs code person that's the only one i have installed these days oh that's a big commitment to just have one editor installed i mean it's you yeah. it's one thing to use one editor it's another to have just one at all <laughs> yeah that's all i got left nice kevin yeah i've used a few over the years but i've also recently pushed in my chips on Visual Studio Code. Uh, the ecosystem around it has been uh, pretty pretty cool. So that, that's my uh, weapon of choice these days, for sure. That's cool. And it probably doesn't hurt that you're both on the same team using the same editor. Yes, it, <laughs> it, it is convenient. Yeah. 
And then uh, normally I'd ask a notable PyPI package. So if you got one, go ahead and give it. But if you have like an NPM one, that's also acceptable. So a uh, notable like library that you can use to build fun stuff like this. Yeah, I think the... If folks do have any interest in uh, web game development, I think Phaser is definitely the one to take away from uh, this episode. We support the project uh, through Patreon. Uh, Rich does a great job with the with the framework. Um, so definitely go check it out, like Phaser 3 and the upcoming Phaser 4, which he's sort of rebuilding from the ground up with TypeScript and all kinds of other great stuff. Yeah, if you're at all interested in getting into web games, uh, Phaser is the one to check out. Cool, Ryan, you got a recommendation? Definitely, yeah. I mean, I can I can give a shout out for Pi Game too. Actually, if uh, Python audience, right? Uh, Pi Game is yeah. actually the first. That's the first place I ever successfully shipped any sort of game project. So I can I can endorse that for sure. It it gives you a similar great API. It gets a little harder to deploy the game. Phaser does have the benefit of running on any old web page. But you can still make something really cool on a local project with Pygame. Right, you bundle that. That's awesome. And you bundle with something like PyInstaller. You can probably deploy it, but it's you're right. A uh, little bit of HTML and JavaScript is definitely easier to deploy. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, this was really fun. People are excited. Maybe they want to go try it out or look into seeing how they can take more advantage of these kinds of things. What do you say to them? Final call to action? I would definitely recommend uh, heading out to twilio.com slash quest where you can download the game, um, its most recent iteration. And yeah, there's also a mailing list that you can sign up for at twilio.com slash quest. We reach out on that mailing list, uh, either Ryan and I do or I do a couple times a month. And we you know when we, when we release new stuff, especially as we release new like Python content, uh, that would be the best way to, to keep on top of when that's, when that's out. Sounds good. Ryan, anything you want to add on the way out the door? No, that's it. Blue.com slash quest. Come check it out. Super. I'll put all the links in the show notes. You guys, this is a lot of fun to explore and think about these ideas and play the game a bit. Thanks for being here. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having us. This was a lot of fun. Yep. You yeah. bet. Bye. 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 This has been another episode of talk Python to me. Our guests on this episode were Kevin Winery and Ryan Kubik, and it's been sponsored by Datadog and Linode. Datadog gives you visibility into the whole system running your code. Visit hawkpython.fm slash datadog and see what you've been missing. They'll throw in a free t-shirt. Start your next Python project on Linode's state-of-the-art cloud service. Just visit talkpython.fm slash Linode, L-I-N-O-D-E. You'll automatically get a $20 credit when you create a new account. Want to level up your Python? If you're just getting started, try my Python Jumpstart by Building 10 Apps course. Or if you're looking for something more advanced, check out our new async course that digs into all the different types of async programming you can do in Python. And of course, if you're interested in more than one of these, be sure to check out our Everything Bundle. It's like a subscription that never expires. Be sure to subscribe to the show. Open your favorite podcatcher and search for Python. We should be right at the top. You can also find the iTunes feed at slash iTunes, the Google Play feed at slash play, and the direct RSS feed at slash RSS on talkpython.fm. This is your host, Michael Kennedy. Thanks so much for listening. I really appreciate it. Now get out there and write some Python code. (laughs) 